This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight's guest is Linda Jo Belsito. I've known Linda Jo for over 15 years, and she spoke at several of my Capital City Strength Clinics in Washington, D.C. In addition to being one of the strongest steroid-free women in the history of the world, she is also one of the warmest and nicest people in the strength training field. She was always willing to go the extra mile helping anyone who asks. She also spends a lot of free time with the Special Olympics. LJ has been drug-free her entire career and is as anti-drug as anyone. She's nicknamed White Lights due to her perfect form and technique. She has won open powerlifting titles and eight other master world titles in powerlifting. She changed sports in 1998 from powerlifting to Olympic lifting. And then she won 15 more national titles in master Olympic lifting. She recently won her ninth master world title and third master world games championship. Linda Joe, it's great to have you on the show. Bob, it's it's great to talk to you. It's uh, like we never we never missed a beat. I miss having your clinics. This is almost like having a clinic, but it's a lot more convenient. Before we get to some listener questions, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us how people can support Linda Joe because I know that you know you pay a lot of out of pocket expenses for your traveling for all your competitions, and it's very expensive. So. If someone wanted to help support you, can you give us a website, an email address, or an address where people can support you? Sure. I uh, I don't have an official website yet. Unfortunately, I, I'm not that technologically savvy yet. But if people would like to get in touch with me, they can certainly email. My address is email ljbbpoweroftheNumber2 the number two at AOL.com. And if people would like to make donations uh, to my travel or to my training, um, my address is 23009 
Winged, W-I-N-G-E-D, Elm, E-L-M Drive, Clarksburg, Maryland, 20871. Okay, great. And I'll also put something up on the website. I put something up uh, a few months ago, but I'll put it up again so they can email you. Great, great. And if they, you know, if they want to contact me about possibly donating also to the Special Olympics, um, they can just go to the Special Olympics website, uh, Team Maryland, and they can do a direct donation right there. Okay, great. Now, we get several questions from listeners for you. The first one is, what have been the biggest changes for women in strength training since you started in 1980? Probably the biggest change that I see, you know, from then to now is the fact that, you know, more and more women are realizing that weight training is not a bad thing. When I started to do real serious weight training, uh, that was probably back in the 1980s. I started doing weightlifting or powerlifting, any type of training to do some stress management when I was in nursing school. And I came upon, you know, someone at a Nautilus Health Club in Hempstead, New York, who introduced me to Clark Gaines at the time he played for the New York Jets. And they said, you know, you look like you could do some lifts, you look pretty strong, would you like to learn how to squat and bench press? And I said, sure. So, you know, I started to train with them a few days a week, and and after a short period of time, the guy, Jack, who owned the place, said, you know, you might want to go to a club that would be able to help you to excel, because the sport powerlifting is something that I think you could really do well in. So, at the time... Uh, I was training, and I went over to this place called Olympic Health Club. It was a little tiny gym um, in Hicksville on 107 across from Grumman. And I introduced uh, myself to the owner, who was John Bellisai. And he and I and a couple of other powerlifters started training and, you know, working on technique and learning all the lifts and the rules. And by 1982, I had lifted in a couple of local competitions, and at that time, it was US, uh, USPF was the only powerlifting federation, really, that was out there hosting competitions. And a few of the competitions I walked into, a lot of people thought I was Bev Francis because we were built a lot alike, had the same hairstyle, and... In my first competition out, I, I set all the state records in the squat, bench, and deadlift. And by 1985, I had qualified for my first nationals, which at that time, uh, a new organization had been started, the American Drug-Free Powerlifting Association by Brother Bennett. And I started lifting with them because it really followed my philosophy of drug-free sport, drug-free athlete. And my first time out, I almost won nationals. Uh, I squatted somewhere in the high twos. I broke the bench press record, which at the time was like 150. I think I benched 198. And the deadlift, when it came down to the third deadlift, I almost beat the national champion because she kept dropping her deadlift. And the third attempt, she came back and made a 402. So I took second place my first time out, set a national record in the bench press, and at that point, I was pretty much bitten by the fact that there were more women out there that really liked to be big and strong and and challenge themselves. Um, you know, back then, I 
slowly got myself involved with gyms and fitness centers that would allow me to do what I wanted to do from a strength training perspective. You know, when I was in high school, I remember sneaking into the weight room, which at that point was basically a universal gym and a couple of bars with weights that was only open to the football players. But (laughs) after we would finish volleyball practice or softball practice, a couple of us would sneak into the weight room (laughs) and do a cycle around the Nautilus set and then go home. So, you know, I think now with all of the fitness, and, and I don't want to say fads, but there are a lot of fads out there, you know, women are realizing that, you know, weightlifting, strength training is not a bad thing. Um, many times when I meet people or I try to introduce myself to people to help them in, in getting stronger or learning technique, the first thing that many people will say is, you know, I, I do want to do strength training, but I don't want to look like you, meaning, you know, I don't want to be big and muscular and strong. And my reply back to them most of the time is, you don't have to worry about that because I doubt that you'd work as hard or as long as I have to get to where I am today. Um, and genetically, you know, it's it's really something that unless you're gifted and, and have the ability to do what's needed to be done to get to the level that I've worked so hard to achieve, um, you know, you just need to do what's good for you. So, you know, with all of the different fitness crazes, you know, when you think about how strength training has evolved over the years from, you know, nothing basically to Nautilus strength training and then, you know, with Mr. Jones and all of the hammer equipment and all the strength training things that have come upon uh, college sports, um, you look at the way these athletes are trained now and strength training, Olympic lifting, some of the power lifts, this is all part of why our athletes are so strong on the field and doing so well. So whether it's a man or a woman, uh, I think now it's pretty much understood that, you know, you need to have this in a program. And more importantly for women, you know, as a nurse and a public health officer, I think it's really important for women to understand that, you know, osteoporosis, you know, it helps with, um, keeping bone density so that as you get older, you can maintain your activities of daily living. You can lift a grocery bag. You can sit down and get up without using your hands. You know, all of these factors in life as you get older are issues that, you know, muscles are made to be used. And if you use it, you will be strong and healthy for the rest of your life. If you don't, then you have a risk of being at risk for falls and all those other things that come along with the aging process. So, you know, that's what I see, that women are more and more involved and and even on the geriatric level are starting to do different types of exercises, even if if it's their own body weight, that they learn, you know, to stay strong, to be able to take care of themselves as long as they can. When did you meet Dr. Ken? Well, Dr. Ken I met back in the 1980s. Um, He was actually at one of the powerlifting contests. And um, I remember I had gone to the competition, and and he also, you know, said to me, man, you look like you could do some some really good lifts. And, you know, if you'd like to, um, I'm actually looking for a nurse to work in my office as a part-time, you know, chiropractic slash assistant strength trainer if you'd like to i'd like to start training you and maybe 
you know, by 1990, given you five years, you could be a world champion. You know, he was the first one who really planted the seed to say that you have the potential. It's just that you need to be under the tutelage of a coach that really knows how to train someone for the powerlifting events. So I met him uh, in 1981-82, and I started working for Dr. Ken in 1986 in his home office doing strength training and, you know, working with him four days a week at night. You also, in your earlier days, you competed in bodybuilding too, right? Yes, I did. I, uh, I, I actually, you know, that was sort of, I always liked to, to see people who looked strong and muscular and fit. And I, I kind of thought that was the way I wanted to go. You know, back in those days, it was Rachel McLeish. It was Carla Dunlap. It was, you know, all of these uh, competitors out there that, you know, I, I sort of idolized just because of the way they looked in a, in a bathing suit. And I started to get into some bodybuilding competition, and, and I probably started doing that from 81 through 86. Um, I did fairly well. You know, I, I won a NPC, uh, a major show. It was the NPC Big Apple. And I won most muscular in that show, and I also won the overall in that show. And it was during that time training that I realized at that time my, my top body weight was 142, and I would go down to 123 for show. Um, but that was a point in my life where I really had to make a decision because standing backstage with all of these athletes, I realized, you know, looking at these people, how thick and dense they were, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if these athletes were clean, and, of course, I wasn't going to be accusing anyone of doing anything, but I knew that that's not the way I wanted to be. Um, I had always had a strong upper body, a pretty big build, because I had done gymnastics and swam a lot as a kid. So my upper body was always very strong, but my legs were where... Dr. Ken said, you know, you, you got a great bench, but you got to build up your legs, your, your squat and your deadlift, which are, you know, the hardest lifts in powerlifting. Um, so I, I competed. I actually qualified for the Gold Classic, which I took sixth at that event. And, you know, it was at that point that I kept flip-flopping back and forth, doing powerlifting competitions and then doing bodybuilding competitions. And, and Dr. Ken sat me down one night and said, listen, you know, you're right on the cusp. You know, you keep going to the National Powerlifting Championships and you're taking second place. But if you really want to be a champion, you've got to focus on one sport and decide, do you want to be big and strong or do you want to be, you know, petite and, and, and ripped and up in a, a bathing suit on stage? You know, you got to make a decision. And, you know, that was really a turning point in my life. We went upstairs from the basement in his house. And, you know, as Kenny always does, which I know you and everybody else who knows Ken or has spent time, uh, we went upstairs into his kitchen and broke out a cheesecake and milk and started the, <laughs> started the weight gain diet. So it was at that point that I decided, you know what? I'm going to get big and strong, and I'm going to do whatever he tells me to. And that night he sent me home with two steaks and said, okay, we're on our road, and we've got five years to make it happen. So, you know, um, he was a really great 
um, mentor. He was like a brother. He still is to me. Um, he was always there for me to, you know, help me train to get to the level that I did. And, and he was absolutely right. In 1990, I went to Paris as a 148-pound uh, national champion, and I won the Worlds in Paris um, in 1990. So, you know, he, he did what he had to, had it to do with me in training um, and really, you know, has has done some out-of-the-ordinary training techniques with me. You know, I remember the first time we trained, the first thing he had me do was to climb up and down a rope that he had in his backyard as many times as I could, not using my legs. And then he had me go out in the driveway and carry anvils up and down the driveway until I couldn't hold them anymore. And at that point, I wasn't really sure what he was doing. I kind of thought he was a little bit insane. But what I realized later on and what I realize now, you know, spending time with Dr. Ken and some of his non-traditional training methods have, have not only made me physically strong, but they've made me mentally strong. And that's something that I think I try to instill in a lot of my athletes that I train, both Special Olympic and not, that, you know, you, you have to be mentally strong you know he would have me squat in the basement in between a wall and a and a rack of dumbbells to make sure that my technique was perfect that i was upright and that i didn't lean forward or lean backwards so a lot of the things you know people would say man he's being really abusive but basically what he was doing he was setting the stage setting the stage for higher levels of competition for me where we when we travel overseas you don't always have the most optimal conditions. You know, training in his garage when it's freezing cold or, you know, 100 degrees put us in a situation where he would say to us, if a bomb goes off when you step out on that platform, you are so focused that it doesn't matter. You're going to be successful. So those are the things that I've, you know, taken with me all through my competitive years, and I think that's why mentally I've been able to stay focused and be so successful. You know, it's not all about the physical. You've got to be mentally strong as well. So Kenny is uh, still a very big part of my life, even though we're in different states, but we do keep in touch, and I still tap into him at times when things aren't going so well for me or for my athletes in training, and, you know, he's always got a tip or a a piece of advice that definitely makes a positive impact. So he was a real big influence in my powerlifting career. Looking back over the, the last three years of your career, what have been your greatest accomplishments? Over the last three years? 30. Oh, 30 years. Well, um, I, I think the the biggest accomplishment is me is for me as a kid as a kid, I always wanted to be an Olympic champion. Um, I didn't know how I was going to do it. But, you know, as a high school kid, I was, I was always involved in, in many different sports, and I was really good at volleyball and really good at softball. And I think when I got into college and I tried out for volleyball and was cut from the team, I was, I was devastated. So, you know, the, getting into the powerlifting has really allowed me to get to the level of world championships and meet the goals that I've set out for myself in life. Um, I competed, you know, in powerlifting, and as you said in the introduction, won one open powerlifting contest, competed on 
uh, three open powerlifting teams, even though I knew I wasn't going to win, it wasn't about the winning. It was about doing the best you could to get team points for the USA. And every one of those events sort of, you know, gave me the opportunity to represent USA on that world stage, which, which has really, really been very exciting for me. The other thing that, that I had the ability to do, in 1998, I was at a Masters World Championships up in Alberta, Canada, and that was one of my last um, world championships, even though I kept lifting and powerlifting until 2001. Um, I was able to total over 1,100 at that championship. And I had heard that the women were coming to the Olympics in 2000. So when I got back from that championship, I talked to, at the time, one of the coaches that I was working with, Frank Caramico and Kenny, and I said, you know, I'd like to give Olympic lifting a try and see if I can make the 2000 Olympic team. And that's when I got involved with trying to make the transition, was introduced to Arthur Drexler, who is one of the gurus in Olympic weightlifting. He's the, you know, board of director for USA Weightlifting. But he was very kind when I went into his gym in November of 1998 and introduced myself and told him what I wanted to do. And, you know, he was very gentle and said, listen, you know, Olympic lifting is a very different sport than powerlifting. And the first thing you need to do is to work on your flexibility and your speed. And we can definitely do that. So why don't you come down after the holidays and we'll give it a roll. So I did. And, you know, I figured this might be a way also for me to get that Olympic stature. But, you know, Olympic lifting is a completely different sport. Um, Artie took me under his tutelage. Uh, we were training at LBH in Queens, which is an old-time hotbed for Olympic weightlifting going back to the 1950s, and very quickly learned that this was something that was going to take another five years for me to master. However, I was offered the opportunity. I went out and competed in 1999. Um, and I competed in the 75-kilo weight class, and I won nationals that first time out, so I qualified for the world championships. Um, the thing about that was that I had also been competing in powerlifting and had also qualified for the Masters World Championships in powerlifting. And in 1999, I went to Scotland for the Masters World Olympic Weightlifting Championships. I won those, set all new world records in my weight class and age group. And then six weeks later, we traveled to South Africa and I won the gold medals at the World Championships in South Africa for the Masters World Championships. And that's where I got my uh, name, White Lights, because people could not believe the technique and the depth on the squat. So my nickname has been White Lights since then. So, you know, it, it's been a really, really great opportunity to travel, to meet people, to lift on the national stage. I think for me the most emotional uh, competition I've had in my career, um, some people may know or may not, I went active duty with the United States Public Health Service and was called to duty June 1, 2001, in New York. 
Um, I was on duty September 11th and really understood then why I put that uniform on. But the big thing about that was that I had to, I had qualified for the world championships in October and was scheduled to travel to Canada to represent the USA at the world championships in powerlifting. And at that powerlifting championship, once I was given approval to go, um, all of the countries who were there at that world championship were so gracious. You know, every time a USA lifter got out there to lift, um, it was very emotional and very, very proud to be out there on that stage at that point in time. And I wound up walking away from that competition with four gold medals in a master's competition, um, and that rarely happens at that level. So, you know, I knew then that, that that was one of the best days of my life and one of the biggest um, accomplishments that I could possibly do in powerlifting, and I knew it was time to maybe just focus on the Olympic lifting, not only for health reasons, but also for you know, time and, and work reasons and, and trying to just get better at the Olympic lifts. So, you know, that's that's really some of the best times of my career. What was that time you were telling me about when you won two world championships within a week? Within six weeks. That was 1999. Um, okay. I became, you know, I believe it's the first woman in, in that timeline, meaning that... <laughs> century or whatever it was, because I know Johnny Graham wrote it up in Powerlifting USA, to to win both uh, an Olympic world ti- Olympic lifting Masters world title in Scotland, and then six weeks later, travel to South Africa and win Powerlifting World Championships and coming home with, you know, basically seven gold medals wow. and multiple world champ- championship titles and records set at both competitions. So that was that was pretty special. Yeah, given the current state of affairs with powerlifting, you know, because Dick Connor was just on a few days ago saying how he thinks the sport's being ruined with all this new gear. And uh, he says he knows people that have benched 295 uh, naturally with just a wrestling singlet, and then they put on the gear and take drugs and they can bench over 500. So, you know, he calls the current state of powerlifting, uh, you know, a disgrace. I was just wondering, does any of that have anything to do with why you switched over to Olympic lifting, or do you you consider Olympic lifting to be a more pure sport? I do, I do. And I think, you know, in the beginning, um, you know, I remember back in the day when I used to lift with um, Michelle DeGenero. She was in a New Jersey lift, a very strong, very talented, and Don McCauley was her was her coach. And I remember when we lifted together at times, um, you know, he would have her do the power lifts, and then she'd go in the back and do snatches and clean and jerks because she was very fast. And he's like, LJ, you need to start doing this because someday this is going to be in the Olympics and the two of you could get there, you know. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that stuff. You know, I don't want to throw weight over my head. So, you know, in a, in a in a heartbeat, you know, now Don McCauley, you know, he was the coach for the 2000 Olympic team. And now I see him, you know, at all the weightlifting competitions. Um, and he's like, oh, that's that powerlifter again, breaking records in Olympic lifting. And we joke each other. But, you know, for me, yeah, I, I, I got to the point where I really, you know, I mean, I was wearing suits and I was wearing bench shirts um, that, 
you know, yeah, I was lifting a lot of weight, but it was almost becoming a competition of the gear rather than the athlete. And, you know, what I think is happening is as you look at the sport right now, I'm pretty involved with the Maryland State Powerlifting Championships. And, of course, with the, the and I hate to call it a fad, but I, I know that it's going to probably fizzle out, um, you know, in a few years, but the CrossFit phase has really brought people back to raw strength and back to lifting in events with just a singlet and maybe a belt. Um, so in the powerlifting, I think people are, some people are getting away from using the gear, except for those that are elite athletes who are at the top of their game and, and really have to, in order to stay there, um, continue to use the equipment. Uh, unless they're lifting in the raw competitions or the raw meets at all different levels now, um, I'm not sure that the gear is, you know, is a good thing. I can certainly tell you, and, and I know that this may uh, offend and, and piss off some people, but the reality is that powerlifting is never going to be an Olympic sport. Um, you know, and I've, I've watched over the past 15 years that I've sort of stepped back from powerlifting and, and taken, you know, more of a role in, in refereeing and coaching and getting certified in Olympic weightlifting stuff, um, how powerlifting has tried to mirror what the Olympic weightlifting has done for, you know, hundreds of years. I mean, this is, this is why they are in the Olympics. This isn't something that's new. Powerlifting, until they get their, their, their rules, their organizations under one umbrella, is, is really at a disadvantage, I think, because of that. So do I think gear is a reason why I stepped away? Yeah, because I'm not willing, even though I was very fortunate to be sponsored and to be supported by Inzer and Titan and, and all of those great equipment companies, I personally was not ready to continue to, you know, excel just because of the equipment. I felt that I had done everything I wanted to do. I totaled over 1,100 pounds three times within a year, and I said, you know, at this point, I'm done. I think I want to do something that's more, more, you know, me lifting the weight. And actually, you know, I, I think that I've been able to maintain a good deal of strength doing the Olympic weightlifting because of the speed, because of the flexibility, because of, you know, the different exercises that we do. This is a total body workout. Neurologically, I think that it has me in better shape than I ever was when I was just doing powerlifting alone. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlargenine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. 
It is also the top-selling product at vitalnutritionstore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elward, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. 
These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, Iron Game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on MindForce Radio. Linda Joe, I have a question from a uh, listener here, and this is the way it's worded. It says, do you always train the same way? But I think they probably mean, you know, in season or training for a contest or off season. So what, what are some of the different ways you train? Um, I, I basically try to cycle the strength training cycles into my Olympic lifting cycles. And, and that being said, what I mean is, um, you know, when you, do, when you do some of the strength moves like deadlifts or pulls or heavy back squats, um, a lot of those lifts are worked into the Olympic training programs when you're getting ready for competition. However, um, over the past four to five years, I've been down in the Maryland area now and training with Bud Kroll, who is my Olympic weightlifting coach down here. And we have tried a number of different things from different programs where we don't always go for maximum squats or maximum pulls while we're getting ready for a competition. We only go about 10% above what our maximum clean and jerk or what our maximum, um, you know, snatch is in some of the lifts, we will try to do some front squats that will maximize, of course, the catch and the clean and strengthen that part of the movement. But in off-season, sometimes I will put myself on more of a strength-building program where I do a lot more of what we call the bodybuilding fluff and buff type of <laughs> events. 
Um, you know, we'll get back in the gym and we'll do bicep curls and pull-ups and all those kinds of things. And, of course, you know, you need to do all of those things to balance out the strength and all the muscles. But during the Olympic weightlifting competition cycles, which typically we are usually on a uh, three-month cycle up to the competition, and what that is is the first four to five weeks is is usually that conditioning, high rep, low percentage, 70 to 75%, but sets of, you know, three, three sets of five, um, combination lifts with snatches, overhead squats, clean and jerks, push presses. Cardiovascularly, it, it really gets you in condition for the second cycle, which is the beginning of the strength cycle. And then the third cycle is actually the peaking cycle, bringing you in to the competition. Again, you know, working off percentages off of real numbers that you've done. Um, you know, for me, I've, I've always done better competitively if we work off of actual numbers that I've been successful with on the platform, not necessarily in the gym, but those that I've done competitively successful. Because what happens is when you get to the competition, your adrenaline is up and you're ready to go. And if you've worked hard and if you've done your program the way you need to, many times you can exceed your prior performances. So that's the way I try to work it. I try to over the past few years, you know, as I've, I've gotten older, I've actually, over the past two years, I've lost 25 pounds. So I, I had gotten, you know, a little heavier and a little bigger over the past five or six years um, because I had been, you know, working for Homeland Security. My job was very stressful. I was taking care of my parents. So I really wasn't focusing on nutrition as much as I should have, but Last year when I decided that I wanted to do the Grand Slam, which is winning all four major events in the Olympic Masters weightlifting um, competitions, I started to do more cardio. I started to either walk or run at least one to two miles three to four times a week. Um, I went gluten-free. I started cutting out all bread, and I dropped 25 pounds. So when I went to all those competitions, I felt better. I looked better. Um, and now I'm trying to maintain that. You know, of course, I've, I've bounced back a little bit now and, you know, put back on about five or seven pounds. But, you know, I know that I'm within that five to seven pound range to get back down to 165, and it won't be as difficult. So in regards to training off-season and on-season, I think off-season I don't, I don't pressure myself so much. In-season I never miss a workout. If I feel like I am not feeling well or I'm not up for the training session, you know, I'm, I'm honest with my coach. Um, we have a very good relationship talking about, you know, what I will and will not do in training, what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And if I'm not up for the training session, I don't go. I wait till the next day. And I think that's been something that's really kept me in the game and kept me healthy all these years. I've been very fortunate uh, never had an injury. Um, so, you know, I, I think that all of that plays into the fact that, you know, when you're, when you're focusing on competing at national and international levels, it's important to allow yourself that downtime off-season to have some fun, 
Go into the gym and run on the treadmill. Go into the gym and do some bicep curls. Go into the gym and do a Zumba class, you know. Have fun because when it comes to game time, you you got to focus, you know, and, and sometimes that can burn people out. You know, I, I've seen people just constantly, you know, they keep hitting the heavy weights all the time, all the time, and then when they get to the competitions, they don't understand why they're stale. Well, you know, you got to give yourself time. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. Like now that it's summertime, I swim. I love to swim instead of running, you know, and it's good for you, and it makes you stronger, and it works your heart, and you're outside in the sunshine, and you're enjoying life. You know, that's what it's all about, not only, you know, hitting the gym, but, you know, you've got to maintain that balance as, a, as an international multi-world multi champion um, I think that's been the biggest gift for me, that, that there are times where last year after I won my third Masters World Games, we, we had uh, the National Masters American Open in November, and I don't think I went back to the gym until February. I walked. I did, you know, other stuff as active rest, but I didn't put the pressure on myself to get right back in the gym and, and start to do all the things that we had done over the last 18 months to be that successful. So, you know, I think that's a real big deal, that in-season, off-season, you've, you've got to change it up and you've got to allow yourself to take a vacation and enjoy your life. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> nothing's going to be successful. Do you supplement your uh, strength training with... Uh some machines like hammer strength oh i love hammer stuff my my gym down here has hammer equipment um and i use their uh dual back machine their dual lat lat pull down machine um i use their hammer shrug machine you know i wish they had one of those old time hammer leg press machines but they mm -hmm. don't but actually, where I train up on uh, Fort Detrick, they do. So sometimes I'll just go in there. Again, you know, these are great machines to get strong and to work your muscles the way they need to be worked, but it doesn't put you at risk for any uh, back injuries. Um, one of the gyms I train at here also has, you remember the old TK squat machines? Yep. Yeah, well, you know, I, I go in there all the time. I'd rather do that than squat sometimes because you can really, you know, hammer yourself in that machine. And, you know, people just look at me like I'm crazy. I get in there and do sets of 15 or 20 sometimes, and they're like, why are you doing that? And I said, because this is what makes you strong, you know. Doing three of these in a quarter squat doesn't do anything for you. So, you know, someday I may do a clinic in the gym if they ever decide they they want to but you know i have to i have to be careful i don't want to overstep my bounds but typically anytime i'm in the gym i usually have a line of people lining up to find out how to do a proper bench how to do a proper squat how to do a proper deadlift and then when i do my olympic lifts in a commercial gym everybody just stops and watches because typically you've got the young football players who really sometimes are not taught how to do a proper clean and when you teach them the right way, they're amazed at how good it feels. So, you know, these are all the things that I love to do. And I, and I always say that, you know, if, if God ever blesses me with, you know, a massive influx of, of you know, money, I'm just going to buy a building and open it up, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to train people the right way.
period, the end. You always have a great attitude. What are some of the things that keep you motivated? Well, you know, I, I think being a nurse, um, being an athlete, and now, of course, being involved with the Special Olympics, um, what keeps me motivated is, is challenging myself to be able to continue to do better, to maintain health, to set, a, set an example for not only the public, but for these other athletes that may be watching you, you know, from, from afar. Um, I think, you know, training young kids and training Special Olympic athletes, um, we just returned from the USA Games that were held in New Jersey where there were 3,500 athletes who competed. There were 100 powerlifting athletes that competed over the last five days. And, you know, to, to go to the gym and watch these athletes show up with a big smile on their face and say, what's on the agenda today, Coach LJ? Never a complaint Never question, just do the workout. And you know what? I have nothing to complain about. I have been blessed. I have been healthy. I have been given the opportunity to represent the United States 15 times at the world level. Um, I am a role model and a mentor for many that I don't even know. Um, and, you know, that's what keeps me motivated, that, you know, in order for you to get, you have to give. So, you know, I just feel that this, this may be my calling. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's all about setting an example, doing the best that you can, no matter what, and, and still being happy with what you've achieved. You know, I think that's being happy where you are, right here, right now, is the most important thing that any athlete should learn for themselves. Not focusing on what could be or what should have been, but do the best you can right here and now, because that's all you have control over. So, you know, I think that's the important thing that, that keeps me motivated. Plus, I have, you know, really good people in my life, my coaches, my, my training partners, my, my partner in life, you know, his has has been like the wind beneath my wings and you know you have to have that you have to have that balance where you know it's okay to have a bad workout every now and then it's okay to have uh, a not perfect performance on stage at least you gave it your best and you tried and that's that's what i think keeps me motivated that you know i've been there done that I've had good times and bad times. I've worked hard to get where I am. You know, these titles didn't come easily, um, and I've sacrificed a lot. And I think that those sacrifices um, have given me good opportunities, and I think that's why I continue to stay motivated. And I, I like to motivate other people if they're willing to listen. Um, I, I have you know, a group of people that I call them the yeah buts and the ask mm -hmm. holes because <laughs> they That's will a good one. Come, I'm going to start using that. <laughs> yeah. They will come to you and, you know, want your advice and want your information or your guidance, but yet they say, yeah, but, well, then I walk away. 
So, you know, it's... I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So that's our new phrase down here. You know, you're either a yeah, but, or an asshole. And if you are, don't bother talking to me because I I just don't have time. LJ, how have you managed to remain injury-free? That's amazing. Well, you know, I think... I think over the years, really, you know, starting working with Kenny, um, you know, when I started to lift heavy and stuff, I mean, I had a few muscle strains and sprains and things like that, and I actually, you know, you know, working for a hospital, a major hospital on Long Island, I, I did go to the ER one day when I thought I had, had really injured my back badly, but basically it was just a bad muscle spasm, and... When I went to the ER, the doctor said, well, you know, girls aren't supposed to be lifting weights anyway. And he gave me a bottle, you know, a prescription for Percocet, told me to go home and lay down on the couch and not to lift weights again. And when I got home, I called Kenny and I told him what happened. He goes, you know, in his his usual lovely verbiage, you know, (laughs) blank that. Come into my office tomorrow. I'll adjust you, and we'll do some light squats and deadlifts. You'll be fine. So, you know, I mean, doing the proper exercises to maintain, you know, good core strength, nutrition, uh, hydration, um, and like I said earlier in the interview, that I think that I've been able to work with all of my coaches through the years to make them understand that my relationship with my coaches over the years has to be a give and take. And if there's something in the program that just doesn't feel right or just isn't right, I I try to, you know, negotiate, can we do something else because this doesn't feel good for me. Um, and, and I try to stick to that. And the days that I either am, you know, remember I'm a nurse, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly working, you know, weird shifts and, and doing deployments now as part of the public health service. So if there are days that I just don't have the energy to go into the gym, I wait until the next day so that I feel refreshed and ready. And I want to be there. If I don't feel like I want to be in the gym, I just don't go. And I think that's been the difference. I also, you know, have been, again, very blessed with, you know, good health insurance. I have maintained chiropractic care over the past 30 years. Um, I just recently started doing some acupuncture because, you know, as I get older, I mean, some of my joints are sore and, you know, things are changing, but I still want to be active. I still want to be moving around. So I do what I can to supplement my exercise and my lifestyle with holistic treatments or, you know, good nutrition and good supplementation with, you know, good vitamins. And and I think that's why I've been really able to maintain injury free. I mean the only the only injury I ever had was when I was two weeks out from I had qualified for the American Open in the Olympic weightlifting and I think this was back in ninety oh when was it? Two thousand two thousand seven, two thousand seven. And the only reason I, I injured something, I was actually doing work at my house and I was carrying a fence over my head to put it in the trash and the wind caught it and it pulled my shoulder. So I had like an an impingement in that shoulder, but it wasn't from weightlifting. It was from, you know, doing work at the house. So, you know, again, I rested, I went to the orthopedist, I I did get a cortisone shot, and that's the only one and the first one I ever had. I rested, I did my rehab, and I was back in the game. So, you know, it's just listening to your body, um, doing things in right form, making sure I'm not lifting things 
to impress people because I could very easily do that. I could very easily walk into a gym and load up the bar to try to impress people. But you know what? It's not about that. It's about, you know, long term. Where do I want to be in 5, 10, 15 years from now when maybe I won't be lifting, but maybe I will? I want to be healthy. I don't want to have surgery. So I think that's been the key for me, to just listen to my body, stay healthy nutritionally, and, and maintain, you know, chiropractic health and, and natural health. What are the best assistance movements? Assistance movements for an Olympic lifter are probably front squats, back squats, snatch pulls, um, dead hang cleans to, to get that position in the hang, in the clean and jerk, um, and at times uh, heavy deadlifts, you know, or heavy clean pulls because you want to get ready for when you are able to do those big snatches and big pulls to make sure that you've at least felt the weight and you've developed the strength. Um, making sure that you are utilizing the traps in all of the Olympic lifts. Again, you know, loose arms, loose arms, big traps, big shrug um, are all, you know, good accessory type exercises, the pulls, the cleans, pulls from the hang, things like that get you ready because really you have to engage the traps in order to get that weight either up over your head in the snatch or to get your arms up and, and under for the clean and jerk. So, you know, really front squats are probably one of the more important, you know, assistance exercises for Olympic lifting, even though people think that back squats are. Uh, front squats are really, you know, more useful for the Olympic lifting. Linda Joe, it's been fun talking to you, and I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome, Bob, and I wish you the best of luck, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again. Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.